Welcome to episode 14 of the Celtic Whiskey Pod. I'm your host, Al Higgins, and today we're talking to the owner of Waterford Distillery and Renegade Spirits, Mark Rainier. As someone who has spent his career in various areas of the drinks business, from wine to Scotch whiskey to Irish whiskey and now to Caribbean rum, we expected there would be a lot to talk about, and we were right. Mark seems to have been in the right place at the right time on several occasions, but to say that might be doing him a little disservice. In our interview, he describes in detail the state of the Scotch whisky industry in the 1980s and 1990s and how single malt became a hugely important category almost by accident. A love for the output of Brookladdy single malt distillery led him into a rescue mission for the mothballed site and in 2011, whisky production began there again. All of this was done just as Isla as a whisky region was going through a massive increase in popularity. Brookladdy was a bit of a renegade itself with most of its production being unpeated and at odds with most of the other Isla distilleries. It would have been easy to dismiss the whiskies from there as uncharacteristic, but instead it became one of the most talked about distilleries in Scotland, and with sales to match this too. Moving on from Brookladdie, Mark was able to spot the potential of whisky making in Ireland. He used his connections and proceeds from Brookladdie to set up Waterford Distillery in the Old Guinness Brewery. In episode 2 of this podcast we discuss in detail the main talking points of Waterford Distillery and the concept of terroir in whisky. But in this episode we get some in-depth conversation on Mark's journey through the drinks industry, his latest travels to the Caribbean and the eventual building of his new venture in Grenada, Renegade Rum Distillery. Luke Crowley-Holland from the Celtic Whiskey Bar joins me in the conversation. Um, the language is at times a little bit colourful, so be careful who you listen to this podcast with. I'll be back at the end to summarise. Now, here's Mark. You're listening to the Celtic Whiskey Pod, the home of unchill filtered conversation. Welcome to the Celtic Whiskey Pod, Mark Rainey from Renegade Spirits. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about rum and whiskey. So um, maybe you could tell us to start off with um, why why you ended up in whiskey and rum and where you started from in, in terms of your, your career. Well, I, yeah, okay. I, well, I started in wine. Uh, my, my family uh, were involved in wine, importing wine, uh, essentially French and specifically um, Burgundy, um, into the UK. Um, so I grew up in that environment. Mm. Um, I, that was my first job when I left school was, was, was running, um, bottling wine in London, funny enough. Um, and part of that role was, was having bottled the wine, you know, the wine obviously arriving in barrels was sending barrels to distilleries, empty barrels to distilleries in Scotland. Oh, yeah. And so that was probably my first involvement in, 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 you know, in, in the whiskey world was sending them French oak, um, wine barrels yeah so, so, that, so that that's my background so so in wine and then i i worked for, for that um that company was bought by a brewery called eldridge pope um in the west country and there i had my first whiskey experience of of blending a whiskey um the the the, the company produced their own um blended whiskey from um you know grain spirit and and, and single malt and a, a very powerful memory is, is um, going into this damp uh, um, Dorset cellar in, um, in Dorchester um, and barrels of Highland Park. I particularly remember butts of Highland Park lying there and unbunging them and having them turned into a vat and the smell, that heady smell uh, of, of, of you know, dampness and um, um, whiskey at the same time. That's a very powerful memory. 
Um, and then I started my own wine company um, around about 1985, um, which is when I first came across single malt as a, as, as a, as a you know, as a concept, um, which was relatively new at that stage. Um, you know, blended whiskey, yes, you know, it's always been around for blended whiskey, but as a single malt, as a drink on its own right, sort of the underground movement started around about 1984, 85, um, with the recalibration of, of bulk stocks of the uh, um, the whiskey industry following the, the, um, the financial crisis of 82, 83. Um, and the stocks that they sold off were the stocks from distilleries they'd shut down the previous oil crisis in 73, <laughs> the OPEC oil crisis. Yeah. Um, and, and so those whiskies were whiskies that no longer existed. Distilleries were shut down, distilled in what I call the age of innocence, you know, mm. when things were a little bit more you know, realistic. Um, and you know, what's not to like? They were dirty cheap. Um, <laughs> and I happened to be there you know, at, the, at the time this all happened. So, so that was my, uh, and I can remember thinking at the time that, wow, you know, you know, this is stuff that we, you know, we produce, um, you know, in the British Isles that, that you know, it's something it's world beating and we should be extremely proud of. Mm. Um, but then you realize the state of the industry, the consolidation and the, uh, um, the fact that you know, single malt had basically been sort of hidden under a bushel um, and the cat um, was let out of the bag sort of accidentally because of that oil crisis. And that, okay, so how long is this going to last, those old stocks? And then what happens? And, you know, perhaps I, you know, perhaps I could have a go doing it myself. Yeah. And uh, what, what you sort of got you up to Brooklady? Was, was there um, a, a deal there on, on the plate that was too good <laughs> to refuse? <laughs> well, 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 well uh, uh, no, certainly not. Uh, um, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a story that runs in conjunction uh, in that, that I won a prize in, uh, um, in a tombola when I was at the London Wine Fair um, prior to opening my own uh, wine business. Um, and uh, I won this bottle of whiskey that was worth a thousand pounds offered by Jack Milroy, you know, very famous, as you, know, as you well know, personage mm. in the drinks industry. And he, he um, presented it to me in, in Milroy's and offered me barrel samples to taste uh, whilst I was there. And, and, you know, I'd never drunk uh, single malt whiskey, any whiskey. I mean, in my generation, you know, it was, it was you know, a post-war, you know, that's what they drank, whiskey mac, whiskey sour. No, nobody drank whiskey, uh, none of my contemporaries at all. Um, and so it was really an embarrassment. I, I thought, well, I've got to try these whiskeys and uh, be polite. Um, and I did try them, and, and my, my sensitive wine palate was sort of brutalized by you know these, these iodines and medicinal things. But one of them was was turned out to be Brooklady and had all the attributes that one would associate with a great wine. Um, and I found that quite revelatory. Um, and I remember leaving there thinking, I, you know, I've got to track this down. And if if wine drinkers were ever going to drink one one whiskey, you know, it, perhaps it ought to be this one. So mm. when I started my wine company retailing wine uh, that was the whiskey that we stocked um and um that was all fine for three or four years until i went to visit uh the distillery and found that it was in a terrible state of repair shut down and abandoned and i found that quite hard to um to rationalize that you had this extraordinary spirit um quality of spirit 
and and you know a, a defunct distillery rotting away, rusting away, um, and that perhaps I ought to try and do something about it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine now that um, somewhere like Brooklady was was essentially shut down, and then you have well, Ar- well, Ardbeg as well. It's not when you think about it. Yeah, yeah well, well, but 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 you know when was Ardbeg shut down? You know, you, 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 the dates are all you know you know relatively you know coincidental. You know, mm. uh, um, you know that eighty two eighty three crisis was when a lot of distilleries were shut down, including yeah. Ardbeg. Uh, um, the seventy three oil crisis when, was when other distilleries were shut down or consolidated. You know, supply was taken from one smaller distillery and and given to another one. Uh, um, because there was more expansion capacity and the distilling could be done more cost effectively. It wasn't done for flavor or, or, or uh, um, taste. It was done for economic efficiency. Mm. Uh, um, and that's something that I've always you know, railed against, um, you know, the driving force behind these things. And here, in this instance, uh, um, Inver Gordon was the company at the time, no longer exists, um, that owned you know, um, you know, three distilleries. And White and Mackay own, you know, a couple, and those two get together, and they've got five distilleries, and half the staff, you know, you know, know one set of distilleries, half the staff know the other, and you know which one's going to get favour and which one isn't, and and uh, um, poor old Brooke Laddie was sort of pillar to post, and then went from Inver Gordon to White and Mackay to Jim Beam, in, you know, in the space of you know what a decade, uh, um, you know, and and that's. That's what I, I found difficult to, to understand, that you've got a spirit of quality, of such individuality, and yet it's just being bandied around by a bunch of accountants you know, without thinking about what they've actually got. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, and, and I think that's the biggest problem, you know, is the, you know, the, the numbers game versus... Flavor. I mean, I mean you, you, you know as well as I do things like the classic six and the classic twelve, which was you know quite an inspirational move uh, by Diageo back in you know eighty six, just at yeah. the beginning of this single malt. You know, they were the ones that saw what was happening with this underground single malt movement, um, and had the foresight and the alacrity to do something about it with the classic six. Um, but I mean, I, I've always thought, you know, you know, the motivation behind the sixth out of 29 that they chose <laughs> wasn't necessarily based on outright quality. You know, you know what happened no, to things wasn't. like Mortlach, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, so, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, and just saying on, on Brooklady, fantastic brands, but obviously <clears throat> it also became uh, famous for, it's it's branding and it's and it's kind of um, you know unique packaging and stuff. What was the the inspiration behind that move? Was it was it your your experience outside the industry that you bought in no, as an not, outsider? Not no, it's, I didn't want to be associated with the rest of the industry. It was as simple mm-hmm. as that. You know, you know, here you are as a private company uh, um, with, with trying to resurrect um, a Victorian distillery that had been shut down um, to create a brand from scratch. Um, with different principles that were not uh, um, industry principles. So why on earth would you want to present your brand in the same vein as all those big marketeers? Um, it struck me as you know, completely logical that you, you try and disassociate yourselves from the, the monarch of the glen and where the eagle soars and you know, all, all that trite uh, uh, um, iconography. 
So, you know, the aquamarine was, was I mean, that was the color of the sea outside the window of my office. It's as simple as that. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it reinforced the maritime uh, nature of what we were doing. The fact that the whiskey was distilled there and matured there. Uh, um, and, you know, and, and, you know, we ran the company from there. Uh, um, you know, the first time anybody bothered to do that. Uh, um, and, 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 and so, you know, you wanted some, you know, something that didn't look like every, every, everything else, you know, it, it, that it didn't come out of an advertising company, you know, with, with all the, you know, sort of latest thinkings and, you know, conflicting views or, 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 you know, you know some, some, some sort of product uh, um, development that didn't work for, Perno, so we'll give it to this guy instead, or you know that that sort of stuff. So 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 you know what what we wanted was something very uh, um, very direct, and we did this with Waterford, mm. very direct uh, um, that is uh, about what we're doing that is not slick and 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 sort of you know corporate that is not uh, um, that smorgasbord of ideas that you send, tend to get when you go to an agency. And they all pat themselves on the back, um, but something that that you know where the collars and the cuffs match, um, and and you know it may be not as uh, 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 as slick as some of these big agencies, but it's honest and it's reflective of what we do. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's funny. Uh, well, it's good that you mentioned Waterford there because you can definitely see that. Um, coming through with the Waterford labeling as well mm. and the bottles, yeah, the bottles, especially, you know, the glass mm. and the, the design with the stopper and everything. It's, it's something new. Well, again, um, yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's, it's the same sort of, you know, idea is why on earth do you want to look like every, everybody else? You know, uh, we're not, we're not doing anything like anybody else. So why do you want to look like it? Mm. Um, so hence the blue, uh, um, it also, you know, is is very good against protecting natural whiskey from, you know, fluorescent lighting yeah. and, and stuff that can often damage uh, uh, whiskies, you know, in shops. Uh, um, you know, the glass stopper, or what, you know, again, you know, you know, cork. You know, we all know the problems that corks had over the last, mm. you know, twenty years. Uh, the fact that corks snap and, and and they often come off from the from the, the you know the top. You get bits of cork dust in 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 the <laughs> spirit. Well, you know, why do you want to go and produce the purest, most natural whiskey possible, and then go and stink a stick a manky piece of cork in it? Yeah, and yeah, uh, <laughs> people don't realize you can get corked whiskey as well as wine. You know, I've I've had probably five or six whiskeys over the yeah, years. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and and again, you know, you know, it's it's a statement. You know, it, it reinforces our uh, um, you know wine uh, uh, um, uh, philosophy. You know, again, that we're coming at this from a wine background, not you know just a whiskey thing. Uh, um, so 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 again, it's totemic. You know, and then of course on the bottom, you've got you know engraved in the glass on the bottom. You know our, our sort of motto of you know mm-hmm. terroir traceable and transparent. Um, yeah. You know, cut into the glass. You know, as well as of course the you know the terroir code that substantiates and supports um, the statements that we make. Yeah, well, we'll maybe talk about that terroir later on. It's some, something um, that uh, is worthy of discussion, and there's, there's a lot to talk yeah. about. Um, but you know, you've you've done Brookladder, you've done Waterford. Well, you're still doing Waterford. But now Renegade Rum in Grenada, and 
What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a multifaceted uh, question coming up. Uh, okay. Why, oh, here we go, right? Why rum and why Grenada as well? Oh, crumbs. Um, it, it came out of the, it, 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 the same background that Brooke Gladdy did. In other words, I got involved with independent bottling first and mm. realized, like with whiskey, that you know, it was going to be limited because sooner or later, those original stocks are going to disappear. And then what are you going to do? Um, and exactly the same thing happened with rum. So, so we got into rum because we were losing interest in or finding it difficult to find bulk stocks of interesting whiskey in you know that hadn't been i mean what you know the way it used to work was you know these parcels would be uh, um, put on the market and you know it'd be 100 barrels for example and then everybody would have a dip you know the first person would have a dip and take out 10 and then the 90 would go around and then then that would become you know 80 or 70 and it kept going around until you know basically you got you know the dregs left over mm-hmm. um and but of course the price was higher and the quality was lower um you know which was the perversity of of, of what was going on and <laughs> and so 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 you know that the, the idea was well, what about rum you know it's a similar position to the whiskey industry but probably 50 years further behind the curve yeah, absolutely. But yeah. There were bulk barrels being offered, um, and you thought, well, okay, let's let let's have a look at that. You know, uh, um, and it, the same thing, perhaps worse. You know, distilleries that have been shut down uh, um, as a consequence of independence movements in the Caribbean, and you know, whatever uh, um, distilleries that no longer existed, um, old rum, um, and 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 so we started. You know, that's when Renegade Rum started. Uh, um, was 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 you know independently bottling um, some of these rare and 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 uh, um, you know, scarce malts uh, um, uh, rums. But in that process, it was even more evident that the stocks were much much smaller. Um, the longevity was going to be of this brand was going to be a lot. You know, the, of the proposition was going to be a lot shorter too. But also, um, the quality of what you were seeing, um, and you couldn't help thinking when you tasted these, um, that you know, how on earth could you make a rum that had the same degree of complexity as a single malt whiskey? Because it always sort of left me a bit cold. There was something missing. Mm-hmm. You know, however old they were or whatever, you know, there was something missing. They just didn't have. The, the depth of flavor, it was all rather superficial. Um, and perhaps, you know, you know, something could be done about it. How, you know, how could you achieve the same degree of complexity? And that's when you get thinking, well, okay. Uh, um, and you start looking deeper into it and you, and, and you, you know, okay, the majority of rum, you know, is made from molasses. Molasses is the residue left over after sugar has been made. Sugar is the primary uh, product, and the molasses is 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 is, is you know, what's left over after you've made it. And so, rum has always had that sort of happy-go-lucky, something for nothing yeah. atmosphere, um, and sort of never been really, in my view, 
particularly serious. You know, it's, it's always been, you know, a, a bit like, you know, when you go into an Italian restaurant and they give you grappa at the end of a meal. Because, you know, basically the grappa costs them nothing. You know, mm. it's a byproduct of winemaking. You know, it's the debris that's left over after you've made the wine. The wine is the primary ingredient. You know, it's like comparing cognac with grappa. You know, one <laughs> of them they give away free at the end of a meal to get rid of it. And the other one, you know, is, is, is a highly valued prestige spirit in its own right, controlled by Appalachian Controle laws, et cetera, et cetera. Yet they're both to do with wine. One is made from the primary wine itself, cognac, and the other is made from the crap that's left over <laughs> once you've made wine. And I think it's a bit like, you know, this is, this is the thing with, 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 with rum. You've got sugar cane distilled rum, i.e., you know, things like uh, um, what Brazilians do and the Haiti guys and, and uh, um, what's known as rum agricole. You know, yeah. from the French colonies. And then you've got the stuff that's made from the crap that's left over, molasses. Um, and of course, you know, that means um, fundamentally with molasses, you know, you, you don't really have provenance. It's not something that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, um, um, a, a reservoir of, of molasses available to all colors. Um, and so, of course, it means you can distill rum anywhere in the world you want. Mm. Um, you just get those little blue drums of molasses and away you go. I mean, they're even distilling rum on Isla uh, now. Yeah, uh, it's, um, it's great. It's great that you mentioned provenance because this is something we talked about in our Mezcal podcast as well. And uh, mm. um, Alejandro, the, the chap we spoke with, was lamenting about people making Mezcal in dif different countries. Um, and he was asking the people where they got their agave um, syrup from, and they just shrugged their shoulders and say, "We don't know." <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not yeah. really mezcal if you can't sort of give it some uh, sort of origin or well, a I place. Well, I looked at mezcal or, yeah, quite yeah. quite closely uh, um, um, several years ago, uh, um, you know, uh, and looked at it um, and explored it quite closely. Um, and you know, boy, if you want to see an artisanal industry, that's what it is, mm -hmm. you know, one-man yeah. band farmers um, with earthenware, uh, um, you know, uh, stills. In fact, in fact, you know, interesting enough, it's almost the missing link, you know, between, uh, uh, um, you know, how do we get to copper stills that we have today mm. and what the Arabs were doing, you know, in 800 AD <laughs> in Syria uh, and, and the drawings that we've seen of the stills that they produce. And, you know, if you want to see a real life version of those original al ambics well you get, go to mezcal go to mexico and you'll see yeah. them in action with mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. instead of a you know a copper lin arm it's a piece of bamboo <laughs> uh, um, and the still itself is a clay pot uh, um surrounded embedded in uh, um, extra brick and and, and and clay uh um and you think well that's that's probably, you know, in how they've been doing it, you know, since, you know, alcohol was invented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Celtic Whiskey Pod, the home of unchill filtered conversation. So the, the, the rum project, obviously, your sort of main focus is on, on the raw ingredient and sort of uh, yeah. finding a way of, of creating the best flavor from that. 
Um, so yes. was the location of Grenada chosen because of that? Are you are you able to? Well, 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 well yes and no. Uh, um, you know, the principle is okay. Um, I want the primary ingredient, not the um, byproduct. You know, I want something that is influenceable rather than a generic standard uh, and one size hat fits all. Um, that you know, molasses. Is you know you know it would be like saying well okay I mean let's think of a, an analogy we like saying well I'm going to um, you know you distill uh, wine any wine anywhere you know the European wine lake or you know what you know what a uh, um, you know you know molasses you know uh, you know cannot have fundamentally uh, um, you know the, the principles of terroir or provenance. Um, when it's coming from a centrally supplied um, s- sort of uh, um, pool, mm. because that's what distilleries do. I mean, all their all, all their uh, um, mola- all the refineries, all their molasses goes into centralized pools, and it gets redistributed from there. <laughs> so, so and as you know, I'm I'm interested in 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 the aspects of terroir, the individuality of terroir, um, coming from a wine background, um, and it struck me. That the French were onto something with uh, rum agricole, um, but being typically French, it only goes back to France. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, rum agricole is very, very well known in France, but not so elsewhere. Um, and you know, the, the fact it was, it, <laughs> well, it, it was Lord Nelson that was partly responsible. Um, in blockading Martinique and Guadeloupe during the Napoleonic <laughs> Wars, which forced uh, the French to distill their sugarcane rather than refine it, because they couldn't get the sugar back to um, uh, um, back to France. So mm. I suppose, you know, it, as always, it's one of those anomalies of history. But but uh, um, you know, if you if you grow uh, if you use sugarcane itself, now this is where it gets confusing because I, I heard a podcast the other day of someone waffling on about um, um, rum and um, what the raw ingredient was and kept on going about sugarcane when he actually meant molasses. Mm. Uh, you know, molasses is the product left over after you have refined. Uh, the juice of sugarcane into sugar, um, whereas what the French are talking about is actually the juice of the sugarcane, and this is why we were very careful about how we term it on our bottles. Um, people need to you know, make you know, be certain of the difference here. Um, you know, on the one hand. If you're being you know, sort of slightly loose with the truth, you can sort of go on about sugarcane for molasses, but that's actually erroneous. You know, it's it, it's it's the byproduct left over after the refining of sugarcane juice obtained from sugarcane. That's mm. you know, it's important to understand that difference. Whereas the French were actually stealing the sugarcane juice itself, the primary juice. And that's where you think, you know, that's something that can be influenced by terroir because you're dealing with the plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, so the idea was to find a distillery that I could either buy or uh, um, stocks of rum that I could, uh, I could uh, buy 
And so a, a sort of 10 year sort of peregrination started, you know, um, in the Pacific, um, uh, you know, the islands of Reunion and, and, and uh, Mauritius, um, Fiji, um, and then the Caribbean, uh, Cuba, and, you know, all the way down the, the you know, the, the island chain. And it, it was a bit half-hearted, I hasten to add. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of, uh, um, you know, a, a, a definitive serious uh, attempt. It was a, it was a casual uh, meander, shall we say. And, uh, uh, and it's, it, you know, what I saw just, you know, filled me with horror. Um, you know, the caliber of machinery, um, the poor state of it, the poor maintenance, mm. uh, um, the environmental, uh, uh, um, you know, disregard. Uh, um, and of course, there's one or two guys doing good jobs. Uh, one, you know, smaller guys. Um, but generally speaking, it was it was a pretty depressing uh, journey, um, and I didn't find anything um, to buy, and I didn't find anything any stocks worth worth having, and so it sort of became clear that I was going to have to distill it myself. Mm. Uh, um, and that's when um, I came across Grenada, um, as always, with, with a rather serendipitous uh, um, in, in outcome, in that my, um, my colleague, my finance director, John Adams, had a university friend who had a holiday house there. And he knew that I'd been getting nowhere in finding a home for this project. And so he invited me along and we arrived at the airport um, in Grenada. And the, I mean, the moment we arrived at the airport, I knew that this is where I wanted to be. It just had a wonderful atmosphere. You looked out the window and it wasn't full of, you know, really posh hotels and skyscraping hotels. I mean, mm. it was a you know, you know, very, very uh, uh, um, um, relaxed sort of atmosphere and landscape. Uh, volcanic obviously so 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 it's you know mountainous and uh, and hugely burdened and i just thought before we'd even left the airport i thought this is this is it at last this this is the place this is the home it feels right. good it feels safe it feels happy um and so we hired a car and we drove around the island uh um <laughs> the only problem was there wasn't any sugar cane uh um, all right <laughs> so, 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 so <laughs> So having, a having found what felt like the right place, mm. uh, the problem was that you, you know you, you couldn't see any sugarcane growing at all. Yeah, and um, that is a problem so, in the Caribbean for a lot of distilleries, isn't it? That they're basically sugarcane farming is in in decline. And yeah, well, sociopolitical um, reasons for it. Uh, yeah. um, and and uh, uh, firstly, the decline of sugar. You know, the fact we, we you know we use a lot less sugar than we ever did before. Um, also, you know, the fact that sugar can be provided by things like you know sugar beets and, and artificial uh, sweeteners and things like that. Um, so, so that's the first thing. Um, and the second is is is, is socio political, which is which is you know, you know the the independence movements from colonial. Uh, uh, um, uh, occupations during of course, yeah. during the you know fifties and sixties mm. um, meant that um, a lot of these uh, um, estates were broken up um, and land was sold off or given away uh, to farmers um, and you know basically agriculture was broken deliberately yeah and in fact with Grenada the interesting thing is there's, there's actually a paper. 
um, I found, which uses uh, Grenada as the example of a textbook example of how to destroy an industry, how to actually break it up. You know, what was one of the most fertile and productive islands in the British Empire um, ended up with 100% of food having to be imported. And, you know, all the hard-won um, estates and fertile estates going back to Bush. Mm. And that's what I discovered. You know, the, the, you know, the infrastructure, the roads were all there. You could see where they once were, but everything had gone back to Bush. Uh, um, you know, partly because, you know, you know, you know having, having divvied up, you know, these, these uh, estates, um, either you build houses on them or um, it goes back to Bush. But either way, um, these guys uh, um, either didn't have the scale and they didn't have the market connection uh, to carry on what had been, you know, very profitable businesses. Yeah. Um, and so they they all they all disappeared, and you can see the res, you know the residue the residues of this um, you know you know lying around. Uh, um, so on the one hand, it's a bit sad, really. Uh, um, so so uh, um, you know the first thing to do was to see whether there was enough land that we could um, bring back into um, uh, cane production to make it worthwhile to build a distillery. Mm. Um, so that process started in, in 2016, 2017. Um, and um, bit by bit, we realized that, that we were going to have to try and um, rent you know, what was left of some of these estates um, and cobble together um, all down the east coast of the island um, what we're farming today, which is roughly 100 acres, uh, mm. um, sorry, 100 150 acres of of um, of cane land on 12 different farms. Yeah, and was that bringing sort of farmers on board as well, or you basically have um, people no, from the distillery work. looking at? Yeah, so it's people from yeah, the distillery. Looking, yeah, I, I mean the idea was to do sort of what we do in in Brooklyn. We did with Brooklady and ask farmers to grow. You know, you grow the barley, we'll buy yeah. it from you, and that completely failed in Grenada. <laughs> Uh, uh, um, you know, there was absolutely no. In fact, what you know that that's socio-political. You know, th remember they had a they had a Marxist revolution. So after independence in the sixties, um, they had a Marxist revolution, and um, which was ended by Ronald Reagan, if you remember, um, um, invading the island. Um, yeah, and, kind and, of ill-fated expedition, so, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's fated with a national holiday. Uh, um, because you know, it, it got rid of this this Marxist revolution, Cuba's involvement, uh, um, and of course the destruction of the whole agricultural sector. You know, the idea was okay, don't do this agriculture. It's 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 like you know colonial, and you know you know what you want is a nice job in an air conditioned office, and and all they did was they collapsed the agriculture and put everybody out of work. Um, you know, it completely backfired. So, so, so it's starting again with a clean slate and saying, right, okay, guys, let's do some farming. But of course, a whole generation has grown up without knowing what farming is. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and that's the problem. The know-how just isn't there. So, uh, so, you know, so when we go, you know, come on, guys, let's, you know, you, know, you grow it. You've got five acres. You grow the, here's the cane. You grow it. We'll pay you $70. Thank, you know, thank you very much. No one was interested. 
So we had to, to continue the project, we have to become farmers ourselves. So we do everything (laughs) now. So we employ 130 people uh, up and down the the East Coast who've never farmed in their lives before. and 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 you know you know to be able to grow the cane on these different terroir, um, each each farm um, is subdivided into two, three, or four different uh, terroirs, um, which we can then uh, distill um, individually uh, to to extract that uh, um, specific uh, flavor derived from um, the soils and the microclimate. Um, um, of the place, for example, there's there's one of one of the farms, the pearls, has a laterite bank, and a laterite is is, is an iron rich soil, heavily iron rich soil caused by volcanic gases, and being a volcanic island, you've got these juxtapositions of soils, which is yeah. which is absolutely crazy, mm. um, but it makes for really really interesting growing conditions, <laughs> um, and that's what we're finding at the moment. Yeah, I gather one of the the old estates was part of a, a distillery as well at one time, wasn't it? Is it the Dunfermline one? Well, s- several. Uh, uh, Dunfermline, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the Earl of Dunfermline, uh, um, Water uh, Westerhall, uh, uh, which is where we bottle uh, mm. um, at the south. That was that was another one. Um, so so yes, there, there were plenty of distilleries around back in you know the nineteenth century. Yeah, um, but you know hurricanes and revolutions and stuff you know in in the past rebellions and whatever um did for most of them so there are you know you 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 were asking earlier about you know uh, um is there any rum you know produced and there is there's two distilleries that produce rum already on grenada mm-hmm. um westerhall stopped in 2004 uh dunfermline about the same time um but there's a sugar ref- was a sugar refinery called clark's court um, that distills molasses, and there's another um, small-scale artisanal uh, uh, distillery at the north, very north of the island, um, that produces a, a high-strength uh, rum from a mixture of, of both sugarcane and, and and molasses. Yeah. Um. So 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 you know we've come along with a very different proposition, a very different idea. Um. You know. So 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 there's room. You know. There's room for everybody. Yeah, and the the distillery itself is is quite sort of groundbreaking in a, in a way. And you know, mm-hmm. you have across the Caribbean mm-hmm. some some massive distilleries doing stuff on quite industrial sta- scales with mm-hmm. huge columns mm-hmm. and and whatnot. But I don't mm-hmm. think there's probably been a new distillery built um, with sort of attention to flavor, you know, rather than just scale, you know. Well, yeah, um, it, 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 you know, that, that, in a nutshell, you've got, uh, you've answered your own question, which is, you know, you, you've got the, and then, funny enough, it's the same guys, the same, you know, the Diageos, the Pernery cars, the Brown Foremans, the Bacardis, it's the same people that own the whiskey industry as own, you know, all the other different spirit sectors. Yeah. So you've got the same players with the same uh, uh, um, business model. Um uh, and of course, you, you you've got the legacy on top of all this of of a commodity supply that that yeah. you know a bit like single malt whiskey in Scotland was re- the reserve of the big distilling groups to be used in blending, you know, to add a, a bit of uh, rigor, a bit of whiskiness to to uh, um, uh, um, column still spirit. 
Um, and, and you know, in, in, in the rum world, you've got you know, the idea of these companies distilling rum, um, but not actually marketing it themselves, but selling the produce to somebody else, mm. another European company that would then blend them up and, and, and make their own label. So you, you, you've got this historic sort of commodity supply at one end. And then at the other end, you've got, you know, the, the, the big, 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 you know, players. Um, and, and so there's very few integrated distiller rebrand uh, producers. Yeah. Um, you know, fundamentally, that, that, that concept doesn't really, really, uh, um, hasn't really uh, taken off until now. So yeah. you're starting to see that now, which is which I think is much more interesting. I think that's definitely the, the problem that rum has in terms of increasing its reputation amongst people like ourselves who would enjoy mm. a whiskey. Um, you know, you scratch yeah. the surface of rum and there doesn't appear to be yeah, there doesn't appear to it's be much mess. there to grab onto. It's absolutely <laughs> well, you you said it up. Uh, uh, it's a mess. Uh, uh, um, you know, okay, you got your Johnny Walker, sorry, Johnny Walker, you've got Captain Morgan's and the, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, um, you know, the, all that at one end, the Bacardi's and whatever. Um, and then you've got what? You've got a whole load of, um, you, know, you know, all the European countries have their own rum brands, um, but they're, you know, they're using, you know, it, 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 it's, it's more like a blended whiskey, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's an ass, you know, blended from, from different uh, producers. Um, um, sourced from from the Caribbean, you know, so it's a number of distillery-owned brands um, is relatively, you know, few. It's, you know, it, it's difficult. You know, if you go back to single malt whiskey in Scotland and stuff, you know, back in the nineteenth century, the single malt distilleries that had evolved from um, farms that had evolved from clandestine distilling, you know. And then Johnny Walker, Mr. Johnny Walker turns up and says, well, you know, you, you distill me a hundred barrels and I'll come back in, 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 you know, April and pay you for them. I mean, it, it was a great business model for these guys because they were basically distilling to order mm. and that works fine until Johnny Walker doesn't turn up, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, um, which is how, you know, that consolidation happened, you know, you know rather rapidly. Um, so, so I think, you know, in, in, in the rum world, you've got, you know, this commodity supply, people uh, distilling to order for European, European brands. Um, and it's quite a hard thing to get off because it's easy. Mm. Does it surprise you're, you're you that paid to distill? You know, does it surprise you that none of those big companies have come along and, and said, OK, we're going to do what Mark's doing at the moment and uh, set up? You know, a small operation, much in the same way as you know they, they might do a single malt distillery in Scotland and uh, go and do something the that's quite guys. sort of flavorful and well, you know uh, interesting. Perhaps it might happen. Perhaps it might happen when they see um, a change. But remember, you know, they're very happy with the model they've got. You know, they're very mm. happy. It's the rest of us that are pissed off. <laughs> uh, um, you know, part of us thinking, well, how can we make rum more interesting? Uh, um, and the other is, can we make it more interesting? You know, can we make it more profound? Can we make it a serious proposition? Or is it always going to be sea, sun, sex, sand and pirates? <laughs> uh, 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 um, you, know, you know, is it going to be, you know, cool guys walking down pontoons and getting into speedboats? 
you know, it, or is, is it going to be something that you and I and Luke here, you know, are going to sit and, and debate and argue about comparing and contrasting like we do with whiskey? Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that, that's, that's what I'm, I'm wondering. Can it, no, I'm not going to say, can it be saved? Uh, um, but, you know, can it be given a bit of rigor, a bit yeah. of, you know, and I think that, you know, this, this then, you know, begs the question of, you know, um, production values um, and, uh, um, you know, the idea of terroir, all, all these, to me, flow from that, from that premise. You know, mm. if you've got basically an uncontrolled industry where anybody can make rum anywhere in the world. And guess what? They do. You know, it may be from molasses. It may be from plenty of other dodgy things, you know, you know which you hear about in you know, you know, India and elsewhere. Uh, um, the one thing is there is no um, governing control. There is no, you know, it, it's, it's a free, you know, you, you talked about Wild West. Bloody yeah. hell, Wild West, Wild East, you name it. It's anything goes. And, it's, it's interesting. And that's part of the problem. There is, there is, mm -hmm. you know, what is the credibility <clears throat> here, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it, from, from everything you, we, you've uh, described there, Mark, it sounds a lot <clears throat> uh, strikingly similar to, um, let's say, Irish whiskey in the 19th century when, when there wasn't regulations and, you know, lots of third parties involved um, in, in, in what, what happened with the whiskey once it left the distillery. And it sort of took a combination of brands deciding we're taking or distilleries deciding we're taking this in-house in terms of the bottling and, and branding and stuff. And then eventually you start seeing regulation in the early 20, 20 in the early 20th century. And uh, would you do, you do you envision in terms of everything you've just discussed yourself being that first maybe domino that kind of that knocks back well, well, except, everything that we just said? You didn't complete your argument there, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is you know, then what happened? You know, well, then you lost, you know, you know, Ireland lost, you know, its major market. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Column still production uh, was adopted by everybody else, but not by Ireland. Uh, um, and, and you ended up with, you know, a, 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 a much smaller market and pricing yourself out of. The, the, you know, the rest of the, you know, yeah, and, no, and of course, uh, yeah, 100% we did, but I suppose that's a different argument than the regulation one, you know, in terms of the, the, the regulation comes in before the First World War and what you described happens afterwards, like, you know. And, but, and now what we're seeing afterwards is more relevant. Yeah, what we're seeing yeah. today is more relevant. No, 100%. Um, so, maybe that ties into the post-colonial um, socioeconomic issues that you were talking about in the in the Caribbean, because mm. that, that that is is partly what, what is to play in Irish whiskey in terms of the, protectionist policies in the in the 20s and 30s and yeah. uh, our, our trading relationship with, with Britain there's definitely um parallels there in in in, yeah. in that regard you know absolutely yeah and then consolidation which <clears throat> is the inevitable so you end up with a monopoly um and then that monopoly finally gets uh, um challenged by you know the likes of uh, uh um uh, John Teeling and Mm -hmm. um 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 Jew, William Grant and stuff and, and so so we so we have this renaissance that we're seeing today mm. which i think is very exciting uh, uh, mm. um but with but with rum i think you've got this uh, um uh, you know this happy go lucky something for nothing uh, that, that, that you know culturally encompasses the whole you know rum idea um and you know, it's it's quite it's going to be a hard job um, to instill some rigor, and the only way 
I think you know, you know, one can hope to do this. In in my view, is 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 you know by you know putting a head down uh, um, and saying, well, okay, I'm I, I it, what what happens elsewhere happens elsewhere. Uh, I'm I'm not going to teach my grandmother to suck eggs, but you know there is a way of doing this, and this is how we are doing this, um, and and you know by being able to verify what you do, prove what you do. I mean, you know, this is very similar. You, you, you know, you're going to say, I know you're going to say to, to Waterford, and it's and it's absolutely right. You know, I wouldn't believe half the people in this industry. You know, it's a marketing industry. The spirits industry is extremely, extremely successful uh, <laughs> at marketing its wares, and by you know, you know, standardizing production into the cheapest liter possible. You know, it allows them this, you know, to spend huge amounts of money spinning yarns at the other end. And they've been very, very good at it. Yeah. Um, and you've heard it. You've heard people stand there and say you know, all sorts of nonsense that, you know, is demonstrable nonsense. But, you know, it's unchallenged <laughs> and, uh, um, it, you know, it becomes, you know, legend and ambassadors and talking heads and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think the vodka, um, so, so, the vodka industry is a perfect example of that and how, how people fell over themselves to buy expensive bottles of vodka that tasted of nothing, yeah. <laughs> but it was all about And that gave us the gin, you know, which is, yeah. you know, the, the corollary of that. Uh, uh, um, so, 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 so no, I think, I think coming from a wine background, half my career has been in wine. Um, you know, I grew up with it, you know, and, you know, that's well-regulated. It's, you know, the Appalachian systems, you know, enshrined in law. Um, you've got people that are, are, you know, you know, farmers. You know, their hands, you know, dirty hands. You know, they actually make the wine. You know, it's, you know, sure, there's corporations involved too. I mean, just have to look at Australia and and and, and California. Mm, but yeah. generally speaking, it's it, it's 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 thousands of thousands of of of, of one man band. You know, farmers, uh, um, and I just think there's, you know, there's there's passion, there's pride, there's there's um, individuality, diversity—all these things that you, you, you know, that you, you know, which which sort of the spirits industry and you know, the, the collectively um, are sort of lost in in, yeah. in 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 this you know headlong run for for uh, um, efficiency and um, consolidation. Um, and you know, so what we're seeing in Ireland is is is, is, is you know the green shoots of diversity coming back through. Um, single malt whiskey, full stop. You've got Scotch single malt whiskey, which is sort of really as a character, as a category, been with us since the early eighties. Um, but now you've got a rival uh, um, international single malt whiskey, um, which you know the French, the English, the Welsh, the Irish, the Scandinavians, the Americans. You know they're much smaller in scale, but mm. there's a lot more of them. Um, and the you know the potential for innovation, genuine in innovation and experimentation, um, is far more exciting. So you know, whilst you know, on the pedestal you've got single malt whiskey, Scotch single malt whiskey, which will always be that you know I suppose the yardstick, uh, um, but constrained by you know a, 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 you know a relatively unimaginative um, or unnecessary. Uh, um, um, uh, um, development 
it's in the international single malt whiskey that we're going to see things happening. I think that's mm. that's quite an interesting uh, um, evolution. Yeah, it's a kind of double side coin as well now because you have countries that are restricted in their sort of um, protecting laws on you know what you can do, and and that's done primarily to preserve the quality of the product. And you have all these new countries coming along with no rules, and they're actually well, being more innovative well, and doing different things. They can be. Uh, uh, um, they can be just as you know, just as naughty. Uh, I, mean, I mean, for example, you know, you know, you know Martinique, Guadeloupe have an Appellation Controlé system which they're very proud of. But when you actually read it, you know, it's pretty loose in right. in, in terminology. You know, it, it sounds better than you know than, than it actually is. Um, and I think when when it comes down to it, you you've got your own uh, uh, moral compass, your own idea of what you're trying to achieve, um, yeah. and it's whether you can you can support it with evidence. Mm. That's the that's the point. You know, instead of making it up for marketing speak, whether you can actually verify what you do. You know, are you doing what you say you do? Mm. Uh, um, and I think that's where authenticity, um, the much needed authenticity, can come from in 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 in, in you know in the rum industry yeah. is by by doing that so you know we have a cane code that goes on the back of the label just like the terroir code in ireland um that provides that 10 pages of uh technical data that supports um what we what we're claiming mm-hmm. um and I, I, and I think you know that that's a um you know you know the answer to that that equation we have which is you know real provenance not just folk, faux, you know, but real provenance equals uh, a terroir, which you are able to prove with traceability, and you're able to share, which is transparency. Yeah. So uh, you know you can't have one without the other; they, they all go together. Uh, um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, this is this is what I feel. This is what I think. You know, which again comes from my wine background, my, 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 my wine upbringing. So it's, it's not, it's not sort of just something out of the blue. Um, and of course, you know, to some people, they think, well, that's unnecessary. It's, it, it's you know, blah, blah. Well, I don't really care. It's, it's, it's what we're doing. It's what, you know, and if, if you listen to all these guys, no one do anything. And so, so hence, you know, what I said about keeping your head down and doing your own thing, believing yeah. what you're doing and, and having a structure, a logistic, to be able, um, you know, to, to satisfy and prove it. You're listening to the Celtic Whiskey Pod, the home of unchill filtered conversation. There it is. The gospel, according to Mark Rainier, has been delivered. I hope you enjoyed part one of our journey through whiskey and rum. There's a lot more on flavour and terroir, of course, in the second part coming up soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Celtic Whiskey Pod. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Slancha and cheers for now.